0: The water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Mentor APM, intelligent asset management software built for water. By 374 Water, pioneering a new era in sustainability. By Woodard and Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Interra, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. By Xylem, let's solve water. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. And by Can Do, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. This is Session 211.
1: Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey.
0: Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter, Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you for joining me. Well, I hope everyone is well and thank you for tuning in. We have a great program for you today. In the past, we've had libertarian guests that espoused exclusively private property rights and lack of government oversight regimes today we look at the other side of that coin and welcome Kendall Dix who recently wrote an article for the People's Policy Project that advocates for the elimination of residential water bills Kendall does a great job explaining his position advocating for it and he's really he'll really make you think and ask yourself some tough questions Uh, So stay tuned for that. Kendall does a great job. Uh, Plus, Reese Tisdale will join us for a Bluefield on Tap segment. So get ready for a great show. But first, we always begin with a hearty thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for 2022 include Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard and Curran, Intera, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black and Veatch, and can do. What a terrific collection of impactful companies that have decided to support water industry education and thought leadership. So thank you all. And I'd like for you, the listener, to do me a favor if you would. Please, if you work for or with any of the sponsors, thank your boss or thank your contact to that sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple note of thanks will go. So thank you for doing that. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Castbox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on? It'd be greatly appreciated, and of course, helps others find out about the podcast. And please, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. So before we head on to the great interview with Kendall. Let's get to uh, our Bluefield on Tap segment with Bluefield Research's Rhys Tisdale. So take it away, guys. Well, Rhys, welcome to another Bluefield on Tap. How are you doing today?
2: Pretty good, Dave. How about yourself?
0: Good. I think by the time this comes out, opening day will be a day or two away. Maybe it might even be. Uh, we might even pass it. So I mean, we're 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 head on into baseball season. So that means spring really is here.
2: It is. It's it snowed here the other day. So <laughs> we're on, we're almost there. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Uh, So what's on your mind? What has Bluefield Research uh, come up with for us this month?
2: Yeah, so it is, you know, end of March. So we are uh, amazingly at the end of uh, financial reporting season. It takes a while, amazingly, for it all to roll out based on company schedules. But every quarter, every year, we look at the top 50 companies in water publicly traded, look at the revenues, trends that we're seeing within among them in that space and across the various segments in which they operate. So we've got some details to share.
0: Okay, terrific. So before we get into that, can you kind of set the stage for us in terms of what are the segments that you're kind of looking at?
2: Yeah, so I think that's a good question. So we look at six segments. So we look at engineering services. We look at treatment technologies and solutions. Uh, We look at hardware and infrastructure Digital water solutions. We also look at investor in utilities, which you know about. And then lastly, we do have a separate segment of players. We put them in a bucket and this is water pure place. So the xylems uh, and the was of the
0: world. Got it. All right. So uh, enlighten us, what, what, uh, what st- stands out to you uh, from this review of the top 50 companies in water? Well,
2: what's interesting to us is this is the first time in a couple of years, as we look at this every quarter, that every segment is up. In fact, four of the six segments that I just mentioned are up over 10% over prior year. So things look good from a growth perspective. There are a number of reasons for that. Obviously, 2020 wasn't the best year for anybody. There are a lot of questions, but it also says that you know even today... There's a lot of uncertainty in the world that you know the, the market for water, water investment, and sales and revenues is really strong.
0: Yeah, so uh, they're they're not just up; they're up big, right? If four of the six are over ten percent, um, what what of those ones that are over ten percent? Which ones kind of are are really eye popping?
2: Yeah, I mean, so the the big ones are really. Digital solutions—that's always been a big one. It's high growth. We we know that. Um, that's I think a big reason why people are interested in it. But even investor in utilities are up, and part of that is through acquisitions. There've been some big acquisitions for companies like Liberty Utilities in New York um, that are coming through. But they also Liberty bought a utility in Chile that closed this past year, um, so they've added customers and revenues. Uh, but it's I don't know if surprisingly, but the hardware and infrastructure segment is one that's up. So just actually, Corn Mains Financials came out yesterday. They're up 34%. They're a newly publicly traded company, but they indicate that, hey, things are strong. People are looking for valves, pipes, and and hardware and infrastructure. And I might just, uh, even stepping back a little bit, You know what we're talking about here is these top 50 companies all in and some of them are diversified they generate about 280 or so 90 billion in revenues annually of that water makes up about 74 to 75 billion of the total so we're not talking small dollars here when it comes to water
0: yeah um you mentioned the uh, the infrastructure providers. Is that a function? Do you think of kind of those those companies ramping up for the investment that's going to be hitting with through the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act? And is it U.S. based? Is it you know you mentioned Chile earlier, so I don't want to keep a U.S. focus on it if if there are other elements out there.
2: No, no, this is global. I would say it's generally there are a number of factors. I think because there is infrastructure investment, there's long-term projections, policy drivers, whether it be in Europe and Australia or the U S and other parts of Asia. Um, But I would say that, you know, the infrastructure bill as a whole has provided some confidence. That's a good example of providing confidence in the market that there's going to be funding out there and that, um, that, uh, I guess, utilities and industrials can be confident that, you know, business is going to continue. The housing market, commercial development has remained strong actually throughout the pandemic. And that's really where a lot of new build goes. And so, as a result, that's where hardware and infrastructure really benefits new pipes, new valves, new hydrants, and so on
0: yeah has the supply chain issues has that affected it cuz if you look at those numbers you would not think it's affected affected it or is that or supply supply chain issues kind of contributing to the inflation that may be pushing those numbers up any any thoughts on that
2: yeah i i think what we're now starting to see is a lot of the suppliers are passing off those costs um to the customers so that's driving up their top line top line numbers but I would also say that, you know, and that's what was a little bit surprising because it's not like the inflationary environment and supply chain issues have gone away. In fact, over the past, let's say, four to really eight quarters, you know, raw material inputs have been tough to come by. And so we've seen a lot of metering companies that have really struggled. So even itron, even now has struggled because just either rolling out meters because of workforce issues. Over the last two years has been tough and sort of impacted their business, but also just the materials to that go in the meters, but also some of these meters also have chips in them as well, so you know semiconductors and and chips remain a uh, a bottleneck of sorts so it's been uh, I would say it's been a mixed bag throughout, but this is the first time that we've looked at it, and it's in aggregate of full years to say, "Wow." you know, things are seem to be on the up and up. And it kind of feels like that way for Bluefield. People are confident in the water sector. I'm not blowing smoke here. It just feels that way from the conversations we're having in the market.
0: Well, that's a great way to end it. Uh, Thanks so much for your time, Reese. Always great insights and uh, appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon and we'll see you in person, I guess, at the end of the month.
2: Oh, you know it. We're going to (laughs) be there we go. It's going to be awesome. So I look forward to it.
0: Yeah. Amen. All right. We'll talk to you soon, Reese. Thank you.
2: All right, Dave, take care. Bye.
0: As always, great information from Bluefield Research and Reese Tisdale. Now it's time to get on to our featured guest, Kendall Dix. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Kendall, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So So great to have you on. How are you doing today?
1: Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for
0: having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. I, I always like coming up with something new, uh, and I've had libertarian guests on before uh, to talk about their perspective on how water should be uh, uh, viewed, and I'm really excited to have you on to talk about uh, your perspective uh, on uh, w- water bills. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, the, for those who are maybe unfamiliar with who you are and what your background is, can you provide a thumbnail on, on who you know, who you are and uh, what your background is
1: yeah just just really uh, quickly i uh, I work now for a, a climate justice organization I'm the the national policy director for that but I kind of have a, a varied background um, I went to law school what, what feels like a long time ago I suppose now it probably <laughs> is a long time ago um, i i did I did a few other things after the recession uh, most notably i was uh, I was a chef in New Orleans for a long time and uh, my, my transition from that took me to, to being a fisheries organizer. Um, I've, I've worked on some other issues involving um, petrochemical infrastructure in, in Louisiana and along the Gulf Coast. Uh, I went back to school to study food and agriculture policy uh, with a little bit of a climate focus. And then since then I've been um, yeah with the Climate Justice Organization and they're called uh, the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy. Although I, I should note that, that I wrote this paper um, on my own for the people's policy project.
0: Okay, great. Well, uh, terrific. I, I'm, you know, we're recording this kind of, uh, the Thursday during the uh, Judy Gras, so to speak, um, Thursday after Mardi Gras. And, uh, I'm, I'm just so pleased that you are, uh, all in one piece and made it through, uh, Mardi Gras and Ash Wednesday. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I just kind of a joke, right? Cause you're not in New Orleans right now. Right. So, <laughs>
1: Yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually outside of uh, Charlottesville, Virginia. So I actually, I I'm, I'm on well water, but yeah. Uh, I, you know, there's some perks for sure working for a Louisiana company. And, and one of them is uh, that I get to let everyone else sort of have the fun now while I can just sort of, uh, take these days to run errands and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, I, uh, what, the reason I reached out to you is I read your article called it's time to eliminate water bills. And I just wanted to, I, it, it was an interesting perspective that I hadn't hadn't seen much of before. And I just thought it was, uh, it'd be a good, good topic to to bring on and start a dialogue about this stuff. So, uh, could you just, uh, for our listeners, please just outline kind of what, what's your, what's the main point of it's t- what, you know, why did you write the article? It's time to eliminate water bills.
1: I would say, you know, probably the first thing is to sort of establish, uh, some values. I think that's always good. And so, I think water that is a human right and that a person's ability to pay shouldn't be affected by this and we've saw we've seen um you know over the years that that shutoffs are a really big problem for, for for poor people you know that affects about 5% of the country each year millions of people and then during the covid pandemic that was um a really big problem since water is such a key part of sanitation and disease prevention and some organizations have said that that was um, literally leading to people's to people's deaths, and so my organization has been involved with um, uh, with water policy. Um, there's a there's a, a group called the Water Equity and Climate Resilience Caucus, and they were really uh, focused on the most recent uh, round of infrastructure bills and and the now sort of dead or on life support Build Back Better, and that was really sort of my first introduction, really, into the way that people think about water and think about water affordability. And yeah, I just through that uh, through that whole process, I kind of felt like that that I was seeing things in a, in a little bit of a different way. and so I really wanted to to put forth out there um, a different idea about how we could um, one that we could prevent shutoffs, but number two, that we could just make um, uh, funding. Uh, better sort of overall for water utilities.
0: Okay. And what, what are the values that are driving, you know, driving that?
1: Well, one, I think is to, the way that I think about it is that I, I, that I think of water as, is a public good. Um, and so I think that our utilities should be publicly funded, um, for the most part they are, um, but, you know, they're not only funded by taxes, they're also funded by user fees. And, you know, and we, we call those water rates and they're, they're included in your bill. Um, and so I, the way that I sort of look at that is that user fees are really sort of um, taxes, but they're regressive and they're uh, really just not well administered.
0: Yeah. So you, when you say uh, water rates are regressive can you kind of expound on that just you know just so that all our listeners are you know we're kind of on the same page in terms of what you're what' you're meaning
1: yeah well essentially you know because people need need water to live the demand is really um, not that elastic which is just sort of means that no matter sir sort of what the rates are people need water to live so they're going to use it um, for people that have more money the the bill, the amount of money that they spend on their water bill, is is in some cases completely negligible. But certainly, if, if you're poor, um, the amount that you spend on your monthly water bill has a has a, a much bigger effect on your disposable income uh, than 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 somebody else. Especially since a lot of um, a lot of, for the most part, water rates are are the same for everyone. So, um, in some cases, it, uh, there's. There's some exceptional cases where people charge more for the, the more you use, but in some cases it's even the opposite of that where less you use, but for the most part it's flat. And so um, rich people and poor people are being charged the, the exact same amount of money for water. And so that ends up uh, being a much bigger percentage of a poor person's income.
0: Got it. Um, so, so walk us through your article in terms of if, if water rates go away, How are you going to replace that revenue?
1: Well, I think that uh, the taxes are are the best way to do it. So um, really, if you can, if you think of funding for water services, you know, there's, there's federal, there's state, there's local taxes, all of that um, is already sort of coming in. And then there's another section of it that's, that's user fees. So if you think about uh, the, the funding for, for water utilities is two giant knobs and, and one says taxes, and one says user fees. I think what you do is you just turn the, the tax uh, knob all the way up, and you turn the user fees uh, all the way down. And so, um, one, you're you're not uh, necessarily changing the 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 way that that they're funded. It's just sort of um, sort of reallocating those numbers sort of on on the spreadsheet. And so this could have a small efficiency effect because then you don't need the the, the need for billing and collections departments within water utilities. It could have a small uh, redistributive effect, depending on how the, the depending on what kind of taxes you're using. Because if you replace what I water rates, which I, again I'm sort of considering to be a, a a regressive tax. If you replace that with a progressive tax, you could have uh, you know some benefit on on low income families. And I think also that. Um, uh, but for utilities, this could provide some some funding cer- certainty. So, for instance, during during droughts or something like that, uh, when people are you know being asked to conserve more water, that actually reduces um, revenue for utilities. And and likewise, um, as water sort of gets more expensive for for people, and people aren't able to water uh, to pay their water bills, then that also decreases funding from the util- uh, for the utilities. You know, for example. Um, in New Orleans, where I used to live, industry analysts say that water is unaffordable for 75% of low-income families. And there's a certain point where you just can't get any more any more money out of people. And so that's also going to affect the water utility's ability to fund itself. And so, uh, yeah, I think, that, I think that this model could provide a lot of funding certainty for utilities. And uh, one thing that I just want to note is that that ireland already does this so they don't have water bills and, and you know when they uh when they introduced them in 2014 there was this this big backlash um from everyone in the country and they, they actually ended up getting getting rid of that it was sort of a, a failed experiment trying to implement water bills
0: yeah yeah and it's ironic you mentioned that we actually talked to uh, uh someone in ireland around that time to ask him you know what what's the uh what's going on with the water bills in ireland So let me ask you, let me ask you this. Uh, And, and if you know the answer in Ireland, um, I'd be interested to hear it. But I guess my fundamental question is, if you don't charge based on consumption, you know, or you don't have, uh, you know, your water rates, how do you modulate consumption, especially in drought periods when you're trying to promote conservation?
1: yeah I think that's an excellent question, and of course, that's been the one that has been sort of like the primary objection to people who have have read the paper and you know the one of the there's a few things that I go back to, which again is that water demand is is relatively inelastic. so you could and you could charge people sort of all all the all all that you you could dream of and it, to a certain extent people are still going to need to use some of it to bathe to cook to drink and and so on and so forth. But when you dig into the data about who's really using water in this country. Um, residential households only account for about 8% of the nation's water. The rest is from heavy industry and, and agriculture. So you're really um, you're really sort of not going, it's sort of like the, the major users. Um, and the other thing I would point to is that, that if rates were the best way to, to curb utilization, then the best way for utilities to, to handle that problem during a, during a drought would be some sort of surge pricing, you know, where you would just raise the rates all the way until usage came down. And of course, uh, lots of people who need water would be completely shut out of the system, or you'd have to, I I suppose you'd have to rapidly get cash to poor families, something that the government is uh, notoriously not that great at. You know, LIHEAP, which is the low income household energy assistance program, has incredibly low participation rates. It can also be a slow process to get get people money. And um, I think that's why that you see that utilities don't actually do that when there's a drought. They they promote other ways to to curb utilization. So you might you might restrict lawn watering or out west you see um, water recycling being a, a bigger issue out there. But two of the biggest things that utilities could do is that they can they can fix household leaks. You know that's that's over a trillion gallons of lost water every year. Um, leaky infrastructure also accounts for 14 to 18% of uh, of loss as water just just doesn't make it to people's to people's households and so you know I would argue that um, that those are those are much better ways of, of curbing uh, utilization and um, sort of going directly at that problem the, the biggest reduction in, in demand that we've seen was when uh, the George H W Bush administration introduced federal water efficiency standards back in the '90s and they and over time that. Um, that had that decreased uh, water usage by I think uh, over twenty percent or something like that.
0: The proposal is really to eliminate water bills for residential, but to keep water bills for consumers, um, or excuse me, for commercial, industrial, ag uses, or maybe even lawn sprinkling uses. I mean, what what's your?
1: Yes, I am. Uh... Pretty much laser focused on on residences here and again sort of going back to going back to the values you know one of the things that i'm very concerned about is how this uh affects people's ability to to, to live and be healthy and so i think that there's probably all all sorts of uh, um, uh different sort of rate structures that people can imagine for commercial users but yeah i'm, I'm really focused on the residential side of things
0: yeah and talk, let's let's talk. You mentioned infrastructure bills earlier. How what is the um, you know, wh- I have seen articles that don't don't promote your proposal, but really are are striking at some of the, you know, what may be behind your proposal, essentially saying, you know, look, if you're in a well run system, that infrastructure bill is, you know, you're a loser in this system in in that because you're still paying the taxes, but you've you've paid also the rates that keep your system going, whereas all the systems that have um, not been run efficiently are going to get the benefit of that I mean do you have any perspective on on how y- your proposal impacts uh you know system you know system performance uh, and infrastructure planning
1: yeah i I think that's a really interesting question, and I think sort of like what you were getting at is why um there's they're starting to sort of mix up with with the amount of money that, that goes out, how much of it is grant funded, how much of it is low interest loans. Um, but I, I think one of the one of the analogies that you might want to think about with regards to that is schools, right? You know, that for for a while we sort of had this idea that if you denied funding to low performing schools, that it would somehow uh, you know make the schools perform better. But then of course if if the school has fewer resources, maybe you're just punishing the kids. And so I think that there are, um, you know, probably things that you want to do to make sure that utilities are, are spending the money um, wisely. I mean, I think that's sort of what, what oversight is for, but I think a, a water utility uh, being denied or, or, um, or being given less money to sort of help it perform better might have the opposite effect of of making it a better utility with better service for for uh for its um uh, you know I guess we think of them as customers but the people that it's providing water to
0: yeah have you looked at, at at you know where rates are highest and kind of what the characteristics of where those you know where high rates are versus low rates or anything like that
1: yeah i i and i think that's a that's a really good thing to to look at because if if demand and uh, or, you know, if water shortages and and rates were so were intimately connected, then you would expect to see Western states to have the highest rates. But in fact, some of the states that have the highest water rates are, are places like West Virginia, Connecticut uh, and, and New Jersey. And so what that tells me is that there, there's something else sort of going on here when it comes to, to rates and and, uh, and and water availability or water shortages. So you know, if you think about a place like Connecticut, it's got a, it's got a really high cost of living and maybe that's driving the rates up. Or when you're thinking about West Virginia, you think of a place that's been, that's been had, you know, sort of significant disinvestment. And so again, yeah, I think that there's a number of things that drive the uh, the cost of water, but um, not having enough of it is, is only one of them.
0: All right. So, so Kendall, uh, how do you when, when someone says I hate taxes, I don't want to pay more taxes because everyone hates taxes. Right. So what's the, what's the rebuttal to that argument? How how do you get past well, that? How do you, yeah. How do you get past that mental roadblock of taxes?
1: Yeah. And, and that's sort of why, you know, sort of starting off, I was, I, you know, I would encourage people to think of their water bills as really another form, another form of tax. So if you are, if you are already paying, uh, a monthly tax to to fund your water utility through your rates, maybe the best way would just be to pay your taxes one time a year and then just save yourself the hassle of paying um, your water bill every month so I think I think the uh, the answer is that you're paying for this one way or the other, so why don't we just sort of save ourselves uh, the hassle of having to do it every month
0: yeah how does it how does it work for because, uh, because it, I, I can see someone saying, "Yeah, for a municipally owned utility, it, yeah, it makes perfect sense." You know, uh, but what about in the investor owned utilities? Because we are seeing uh, a lot more privatizations as as municipalities start to start to have resources stretched thin, and they they just determine it's time to, it's time to privatize. Let's monetize our, our system and get out and use the funds to support other public programs and things like that. So do you, do you, yeah, have a, yeah go ahead. I'm sorry. How, how do you handle the oh. IOU issue?
1: Yeah, I think that these two things aren't um, unrelated, right? I think that the more that public utilities are, are, are disinvested of and having to rely on squeezing as much out of their uh, their user base with with rates. The more that you've seen utilities uh, start to fail, and that's when privatization comes in. But even private utilities still rely a tremendous amount on on uh, on tax dollars to to help them. But um, the util- you know the private utilities then obviously have a, a profit motive there. And so, in addition to covering um, their operating expenses and their infrastructure expenses, they also uh, you know get some of that money, uh, uh, from people that goes towards profit. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, would personally like to see the, the trend of, of privatization, um, reversed.
0: When you indicated that investor-owned utilities still benefit from the taxes, I, could you explain that? Cause that one of, of everything you said, that one kind of struck me as I, I didn't quite grasp how.
1: Well, I mean, I think you probably know a bit more about this than I do, David. But I, I believe that that private utilities still get money from state revolving loan uh, funds every year, um, and and so that's that's a major source of of you know low interest loans that go to, to fund all the, all the infrastructure build out. So I, I actually I think that you probably know probably a bit more about the private utility model than I do. But they're they're not one hundred percent funded. Uh, by user rates is my understanding.
0: Yeah, I, I suppose there can be instances where most likely smaller utilities. But if you look at like an American water or another major, you know, well-capitalized water utility there, I don't think that they get those tax benefits. And so I, I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to think how the, IOU, are, are you kind of pr- proposing that an IOU would go from a model where they earn a return on kind of their, their rate base to, they get, you know, almost an O and M model, right. Where they get, they get, uh, all their expenses and a percentage of, you know, and a percentage of revenue or something like that. Um, you know, I mean, is it, is it a situation where, where, um, you know you you almost i don't want to say nationalize but you stateize or um, municipalize all the ious is that is that where you're going with this i'm just i mean you, you don't address it in the article but i'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are
1: um yeah i mean my my uh my belief is that public goods like this are better served by by public entities and so um i would imagine that all things being equal, if a if a public utility um, and a and a private utility were on the same were on the same playing field and having to rely on tax dollars, then that that profit um, that was being um, that that the private utilities have deemed uh, necessary for them would make it so that they would require more tax money than a public utility, right? And I think that's why you see that that water rates tend to be higher under private utilities. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, I I imagine that that it could be a problem for for private utilities to be able to provide the uh, the same service as a public utility. If uh, water rates weren't um, weren't a major sort of part of the business model. And again, this sort of goes back to values: whether or not you think that, you, whether or not you think of water as a commodity that should be used um, to, you know, to make investors money, or if you think of water as as a public good and a public resource that that should be managed um, for the public benefit.
0: Right. I, I I I get that now. One of the one of the things that I've seen in in literature is that, well. If you just point to privately, you know, private water systems, you know, like, for example, an American or an aqua or central states or something like that, yeah, they may have higher rates, but I think the evidence shows that they also are making investments and they are less prone to uh, run afoul of environmental regulations. Does that make sense? essentially um, essentially the iou's are using that they're investing the money in the system they're using the the market to because they don't want to get fined they because they know the epa will come after them or the state environmental agency will come after them if they have an issue whereas municipals it kind of lags right they don't because if you're fining them you're really fining the end use customer right so uh, how how do you how do you address that issue
1: yeah i i guess that's that is uh you know, one of the the debates that I've seen sort of within the water world is sort of the, the private versus public uh, utilities. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard all sorts of uh, arguments about why one sort of might be better than the other. To be fair, uh, I, you know, I, I don't I haven't read any study that explains like why private utilities uh, might be better than public utilities. I'm not sure if that's true, but um you know, I, I, I think that the answer is if our public utilities uh, don't have enough funding to be able to provide the highest quality service or if the oversight is uh, somehow different with the public versus the private utility, that those two things uh, should be reconciled. So um, yeah, my, my preference would be for the, the public utilities to be fully funded, to be able to provide quality service and I would be completely in favor of more oversight to, to make sure that all water utilities are providing clean and quality water.
0: Well, Kendall, I've, I've really enjoyed speaking with you. I, you know, it's always good to hear new perspectives and uh, to, to understand kind of where uh, someone's coming from with their argument. So I really appreciate you taking the time to explain your, uh, explain why you wrote the article and the the logic behind it. So, you know, before we, before we sign off do you, do you have like a leave behind message or could you, you want to summarize kind of what your your, your point is
1: yeah again sort of just, thanks again for having me on and just to, to sum everything up I, I really think that's that universal water access is a, is a basic human right that really any functioning society should insert ensure for its citizens protect particularly in, an, in a wealthy one like the United States and so I think the the best way to do this would be to just sort of shift the uh, the user fee um, over to to the tax side. Um, I think that you know that some people argue that that rates and fees are necessary to curtail consumption. That's sort of the main argument that I've heard. But I think that there's a lot more effective ways to do that. That um, that's not going to harm poor people by denying them water. And you know, I I, I love having these conversations with people. I think uh, you know the the best best way that um, um, for us to sort of uh, find a better path is to sort of talk through these things, you know, together. So I, you know, I I welcome the conversation if anyone wants to reach out.
0: Great. Well, Kendall, thank you so much. For those who want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go to get that information?
1: Yeah. So a few things. One, I think they should check out People's Policy Project. That's who published the paper and it's a great place for innovative policy ideas. Um, You can check out what I'm working on within within my own organization at Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy. That's gcclp.org. We co-chair the Water Equity and Climate Resilience Caucus. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, Ken Dix, K-E-N-D-I-X.
0: Awesome. Well, Kendall, again, thank you so much for your time. It was great speaking with you and uh, I learned a lot today. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you, David.
0: All right. We'll take care now. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.
1: All right, Bye-bye. Whatever
0: you think about Kendall's proposal, you got to admit it makes you think. And especially as the water industry grapples with equity and justice issues, it makes you ask yourself some tough questions. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation and I hope it provoked you to think about these issues in greater depth. And I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes for this page and the links on the episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast, click the first link that comes up. That'll take you to our landing page on Bluefield Research's website again. The Water Values, LLC, and Bluefield Research are not affiliated companies. We just have a joint marketing arrangement, and as part of that, Bluefield Research is kind enough to give us a home on the web. So check that out. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag Water water Values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcimsey at dentons.com, and you can sign up for the newsletter at that landing page on the Bluefield Research site as well. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for 2022 include Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard & Curran, Interra, Xylem, the American Water Works Association, Black & Veatch, and Can Do. This show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders supporting it. And thank you again for your support and for listening. I can't tell you how great it feels to come to work every day and get to work with folks in the water industry, caring, dedicated participants and professionals. Uh, It's just a a pleasure to be able to uh, call you friends. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.